Inside Sources. Inside Inside Sources. America's voice of reason. Boyd Matheson on Utah's home for elevated conversation. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. We're nine days away from the one-year anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Headlines for over a year now have centered on sending weapons, equipment, and training to the war-torn country. But as the dreadful war drags on, is there something beyond the headlines that the world should be investing in for Ukraine? Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. Well, sure, the war has lasted and continued much longer than most expected, uh, with different outcome than most expected. But it may be time to start thinking about investing in something that could prove every bit as important to Ukraine's future as tanks and missiles. And to help us look beyond the headlines today, we're always pleased to have joining us on the program Olivier Knox, national political correspondent and anchor of the Daily 202 at the Washington Post. As I always say, it is part of my morning. It should be part of yours. And Olivier, thanks for joining us. Always my pleasure. All right, so uh, take us beyond the headlines. Uh, we know we need to continue in, to invest in the weaponry and, and the training and all of those kinds of things. Uh, you wrote this week about something that really struck me as every bit as important, uh, and I just don't hear very many people talking about it. Yeah, the, you're right. The, the, the guns, the uh, the tanks, the possible fighter jets, all those things grab headlines, and you know, understandably so. But I talked uh, this week with United Nations Development Program Administrator Aachen Steiner, and uh, he was talking about the importance, actually, of basically keeping ordinary life in Ukraine going. Um, and and just to give you a sense, you and your listeners, a sense of how bad things are, you know, 8 million Ukrainians have fled to uh, nearby countries. About 5.4 are internally displaced, but they lost their homes. They haven't left the country yet, but they lost their homes. Uh, 18 million Ukrainians, about 40% of the population, need emergency assistance. Uh, and Ukraine has become one of the world's largest minefields, um, People estimate uh, at, at about 160,000 square kilometers, which is four times the size of Switzerland, may be mined. Um, so they need they need basic help. And UNDP um, has been focused on trying to help the government keep up basic services and really importantly, um, make sure that Ukraine's energy infrastructure, which has repeatedly been targeted by Russia, yeah. uh, functions at least a little bit. And a lot of people are uh, a lot of people, hundreds of thousands of people are without power for hours every day. Um, so it's part of the war effort is sustaining the civilian population as much as it is arming the military. Yeah, so, so important. And uh, you talk about that infrastructure that uh, continues to get hammered there. Uh, and one of the interesting things that we found is that uh, the longer these things go uh, and the less certainty there is, the less likely people are to actually return, uh, even even after things kind of settle down. And, and normally we think about recovery and rebuild as what happens after there's some sort of uh, truce declared or victory declared or something like that. Uh, but it really is crucially important that people see that there is a path, that the country does have a future, that it is rebuilding now uh, in order to actually draw those people back in and to make society actually work. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, we've seen a lot of Ukrainians return. They do seem to, to a lot of them seem to have gone back to their homes. I and mean, you've seen news reports of Ukrainians going back to towns that were absolutely devastated by the Russian military. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you can look at it a couple of different ways. One is that you, you invest now to give, uh, as you described, sort of this plausible hope in the future. Um, but you can also look at it, um, I don't want to say cynically, but look at it sort of strategically. It's going to be really important to the countries that have generously taken in millions of Ukrainians. It's important to know that the Ukrainians will go home as well. You know, um, 
Vladimir Putin has on occasion tried to, to, to weaponize refugee flows into, into Europe, where you know some some politicians and parties have uh, have used refugees for as political pawns, essentially to stoke up resentment. So it is very important that you know a country like Poland, which um, is is prosperous, but wouldn't I would call them uh, you know on a super rich scale. It's important for countries like Poland to to know that you, the Ukrainians, the millions of Ukrainians that they are that they are housing, they've taken in, will have a, have a prospect of going home, and a good prospect of going home. And that's part of what UNDP is doing now. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, yeah, and, that, and that's such important work. We had your colleague, uh, Mary Alushina, uh, who joined us from Latvia yesterday, talking about the outflow of Russians uh, who may never oh, yeah. come back and that whole piece of it. So I think this this outflow, and again, there's a brain drain to that. There's a talent drain. Uh, and there's also those that are, could be really critical as part of the reform or kind of the next version of the country uh, that you need to make sure you bring them back because they're they're part of the future. Yes, that's right. That's right. And I think, you know, it's obviously it's too, it's, it's part of the reason I wanted to talk to Austin is that I, I, you know, I've followed the debate over the lessons too. And, and uh, I noticed that a year ago, um, there were some folks, including Volodymyr Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, talking about eventually needing a, a Marshall plan to rebuild right. Ukraine. Marshall plan, of course, being the way the United States rebuilt Western Europe after World War II. Um, and that talk has gone away. And um, I don't know if the Ukrainians are deliberately playing down the need for economic aid and playing up the need for military aid because that's more urgent. Mm-hmm. But it, it struck me that the talk about reconstruction kind of dwindled. And so I wanted to talk to him about, um, about you know, where that stood. And it sounds to me like UNDP is, is pretty active on the ground. Yeah, that, that's so important. I, I wanted to ask you, Olivier, obviously the president is going to Poland uh, that you mentioned, and uh, the the speech here, I actually thought his speech a year ago in Poland uh, was one of the best of, of his term in office. I think there were some really powerful things. There was one little sidebar moment where he was a little off script, but uh, I think the bulk of that speech was, was very important and very powerful. Uh, as he goes back, do you think that this rebuilding part, this investing in, in the country, not just the armament, uh, could be part of that conversation and, and part of what the president talks about as, as he heads over. You know, one of the big concerns with the White House today is the declining Republican support for helping Ukraine. And my my sense is he's probably going to want to stay focused on the, on the military component here to say that America and its allies have to keep arming Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that he's going to want to go into what for many Americans is still very much a hypothetical, the idea that once the conflict is stabilized or is over, 
you know, there will, there will need to be a global effort to help rebuild Ukraine. Because I think it's, I, they don't seem to think at the White House it's going to be over anytime soon. Obviously, they're girding for a protracted conflict. And I think they might, I mean, he, he may nod to it, but I don't think we're going to get to anything, anything in, in, in great, any great detail. Yeah. Okay. Anything else that you're watching kind of under the radar as we roll into this uh, uh, amazing one-year anniversary of uh, the invasion by Russia into Ukraine? Well, there are two things to look at. I think one is the degree that uh, the Russian economy has been relatively resilient. It certainly hasn't. Mm. The sanctions have not forced Putin to change course. Um, I think that that bears looking at, you know, some of my colleagues have done deeper dives into the actual economics of this. Uh, But the Russians are able to withstand a fair amount of punishment, it seems. And the other thing that I think is very important this week has been the concern in Western capitals and NATO capitals about um, depleting weapon stocks, that the Ukrainians are going through stocks uh, going through ammunition so quickly that NATO may start running short um, with, with, you know, obviously potential dangers there since NATO arsenals are what keep uh, Vladimir Putin at bay. Yeah. Wow. Great insight, as always. Olivia Knox, national political correspondent and, of course, the anchor of the Daily 202 at The Washington Post. Uh, and as always, Olivia, we appreciate you taking us past the headlines into some of the things that we really ought to be thinking about that nobody's really talking about right now. Thanks for joining us today. That's pleasure, Lord. Thanks. A great insight, as always, from Olivier Knox. And I just think this whole idea of not only do we have to make sure that they have the weapons, the equipment, and the training to win the war, uh, but this idea of building and rebuilding the country, I think, is so important. I think it's one of the most significant things that Abraham Lincoln did in the midst of the Civil War, was that the work on the Capitol Dome would continue as a message to the world that this isn't the beginning of the end, it's just the end of the beginning and that the republic was ready to roll on. And I, I think that's what we have to do in terms of investing in Ukraine. Obviously, there's all kinds of aid and support that's needed there. Uh, but you have to have a place uh, for so many of those who have fled. Eight million have fled. They have to have somewhere to come back to and an economy and a society to embrace and engage in. And so that investment uh, takes a little bit of vision, a little bit of forethought. Uh, And it requires everyone to sacrifice a little bit to make sure that there is a path towards a successful, future-free Ukrainian country. Think again with Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio.